0: Hello and welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist the blogcast. This is episode 230. And my name is Emily Rainbow Davis. Hello. How are you all doing? It is December some more. It's already been December for a week, but you know, it just keeps going this month, doesn't it? <laughs> I think I may be getting like pandemic loopy. Is that a thing where you just are like, "Woo, okay. is this what we're doing? Is this will this ever end?" A- apparently, yes. It will end. There is a vaccine, and one day we'll get it. <laughs> one one day, far in the future, hopefully not too long from now. Anyway, uh, so today's blog is. Uh, about a show I saw online. It was a show that I had heard about, um, but was not able to see because it was in London. And I am, unfortunately, not there. Uh, although, at the moment, it's probably better. Although, I don't... Is it better to be there not there? I don't know. Where's worse? There or here? Here's really bad. But, like, uh, they're not doing... Anyway, they have they've unlocked down and locked down. Anyway, whatever. This show... Was in London, uh, and they um, they filmed it uh, not to be you know broadcast online, but just to to have it like as an archive. Uh, But in the course of the UK's second lockdown, they decided to air it for those of us who couldn't see it. So I I'm uh, grateful to the pandemic for that, I guess. It's the little things. Getting to see theater I really wanted to see but would not have otherwise been able to is, uh, is a good thing. Anyway, this one is called Brilliant Theater and the Pit. If you don't work in the arts, it might be hard to understand why a really brilliant piece of work might make someone more depressed than a bad one. Sometimes I find it baffling as well. (laughs) I mean, bad theater can be instructive and liberating, if also infuriating, when you realize that it is not the quality of something that brings all the funders to the yard. And good theater usually checks a box for me. I see something that was good, and I say to myself, that was good. What excellent work everyone did. I might steal that bit they did with the plates one day. But a brilliant theater piece has the power to move me, to make me weep and or laugh, and then, not long after it's over, drop me in the pit of despair. This is particularly likely to happen when the brilliant piece in question is close to my interests, or skill set, or aesthetic. The more it feels like something I might have made if I had the resources— the more likely I am to end up in a deep hole that I have to write things like this to dig my way out of. This doesn't happen very often. There are not a lot of shows that have the proximity to my aesthetic to trigger a trip to the pit. But lately, due to the online access to work I'd not have otherwise seen, there have been a few. The most recent one was Emilia, It was available to watch online, and I leaped at the chance to finally see a show I'd heard a lot about. And it was all that the hype suggested. It was expertly crafted, written, staged, performed, designed, all of it. It was created by a team of extraordinary women and flawlessly executed by a cast of women. It was a feminist theater maker's dream come true. As a feminist Shakespearean, I have been waiting for this show all of my life. It's so aligned with my values and aesthetics, I could have written it. And that, my friends, is where the pit starts to slide open. Because I have written in this weird feminist classical theater lane my whole writing life. Like, my whole writing life. I started writing my first play while working for a Shakespeare festival, and it was inspired by one of the plays I was performing in. This is my lane. I veer out of it occasionally, but I started as a classical actor, and it is always in there. Somewhere. I don't want to diminish what the writer of Amelia has done by saying I could have done it, but I have come somewhat close, and given the chance... I think I could have made something quite similar in spirit, energy, and focus. But I wasn't given the chance, and I could not have conceived anything even near it on my own. And this writer didn't have to create this piece on her own. She was commissioned by the Globe. She was given a team and a production circumstances placed her in their awareness and moved them to select her for this idea about the poet Emilia Bassano-Lanier. And they were right to select her. She did an amazing job. It is a truly glorious piece of work. There are some parts of it where I thought, that shouldn't work. But then it absolutely did, even when I could have given you 10 reasons it shouldn't have. It was expertly done. I say this to you from the bottom of my pit. This morning I was listening to the podcast made by some theater makers I have long admired. It is a series of interviews with the artistic directors of Cheek by Jowl, and today it was a moment with Declan Donnellan that kindly reached me down at the bottom of my pit. He was talking about ways to harm an artist. The first was to absolutely criticize and rubbish The artist's work. The more harmful method was to totally ignore the artist's work. It's more passive aggressive and it's more silent and deadly. For the most part, the world has been entirely indifferent to my feminist classical theater, like entirely. Some days I feel that indifference more than most, and ironically, the play, Emilia is actually about that very thing. It is the story of a woman more or less forgotten by history. Though not entirely, of course, otherwise there'd be no one's history to imagine. It is a story of battling to be heard, acknowledged, respected, and recognized. It is a story I saw myself in in a way I have never seen before, and I wept through it in really weird places because of that strange recognition. The play's marketing features many famous women proclaiming their identification with the title character. There are videos of them all saying, I am Amelia. And they are, they are more than me because these famous women have some name recognition. They have achieved some kind of notoriety in the public eye. Will history remember them? Only time will tell. But for now, certainly a lot more people know Catelyn Moran's name than know mine. And I don't want to be Catelyn Moran. I admire her work, but I wouldn't want to be anyone but myself. I am not Emilia, either, grateful though I am for her story. I am wrestling with myself in my pit, over the joy I felt watching the show, and the abject misery I feel at the unlikelihood of ever receiving the kind of opportunities that would allow me to make something like it. The difference between watching an amazing show I wish I'd made in my twenties, and watching an amazing show now is that in my twenties, I could imagine a future in which I could make or be a part of the inspiring thing I saw. Here in my 40s, I understand more about how things work and once again reckon with the unlikelihood of such resources becoming suddenly available for me. And into the pit I go. It's not just that I've become more cynical over the years, though that has certainly happened. (laughs) It's that I have a pretty thorough understanding of how the theater has worked in the past and will likely work again when we get it back. Which is why, intellectually, I know that despite my time in the pit, this show is nothing but good news for me. I know that it opens up a space and a pattern that will make space for so many women in the future, including me. The fact that Emilia was a giant hit and had a successful popular run at a West End theater is very good news for any future feminist plays, for any future modern classical works. If that way becomes more open now, it is good news for a woman who has been busy writing such things for years. My brain knows that very well. But it is not just my rational, optimistic brain here in the pit with me. The less optimistic part of my brain is overwhelmed by the obstacles that stand in the way of my ever receiving such an opportunity. They are things like the country I live in, the country I was trained in, the accidents of mentorship, the relationships that place one in the right place at the right time, The development of one's work in a context wherein it can grow. One's proximity to the pipeline. There's been a lot of talk of the pipeline ever since that panel discussion where an artistic director defended not producing women's work because women were not in the pipeline. The pipeline sounds like it's just a supply line that women need to find their way into, but it's so much more than a stream that leads to production. The pipeline is where you went to school and when. It is the internships you could afford to do and the debt you could afford to take on. The pipeline is who you happen to room with at summer camp. But the pipeline is also much more subtle stuff than just who you know. It can go as far back as childhood. I watched the TED talk of a much admired choreographer And he mentioned how his childhood dance teacher told him when he was goofing around that he was really a choreographer. And so he became one, one who was encouraged and affirmed at every stage, one who likely walked into his first rehearsal of his first piece with no question of his right to be there. If you're not busy defending your right to do what you do at every turn, you sure can get a lot more art made. That's when the way is paved for you. You can travel with confidence. That's the real pipeline. One of the things that feels complex about being an artist in a marginalized group of any kind is that it can be really easy to blame any lack of success on the prejudice that limits so many. It is better to blame sexism and economic prejudice than to blame myself. I can always assume it was sexism that closed the door for me. With a show like Amelia in the mix, I can celebrate that sexism does not always win. But it also complicates my narrative about why so few people care about my theatrical work. I got an extraordinary thrill from feeling represented in Amelia, but... I fear that I am not Amelia, like all those famous women. I'm not the character who stormed the stage to take her rightful place. I'm not the one who had her poems published before becoming a footnote in men's history books. Not yet, anyway. But I will try to access my 20-something self who still had hope of making brilliant things on stages like that and listen to my more optimistic brain (laughs) And I will pull myself out of the pit to write another something, even if those somethings are never seen by anyone. A world with Amelia in it is more likely to have space for me than the world without it ever did. And of course, if I have to, I am fully prepared to, as Amelia says, to startling effect at the end of the show, burn the whole fucking house down. Sometimes when I read these things, I discover, you know, like a a typo or like a mistake or a word I left out or, you know, all that stuff. Um, Usually there's like one or two and I try and correct them in the blog once I discover them. But this one I had a lot. It's funny. I think I, I I mean, you know, I I was in my feelings, as they say, uh, when I, when I wrote this, certainly. And then I wrote it in sort of chunks, so I had to kind of smush it together, and it was a little bit of a, a it was a it was a big editing job, I guess is what I'm saying. And I, I think I was concentrating on the macro of that editing and missed a few micros in that process, um, which I will fix as soon as I get this podcast uploaded. Um, yeah, so I hope you guys got to see Amelia. Um, I know a few people did uh, because of the blog, um, especially my family, which is very nice. Um, and it's not available anymore. So if you didn't see it, I'm really sorry. <laughs> this, this came this has come a little too late for you. I, I think it had its last uh, performance online. I mean, it's online, so I'm sure it'll be back. But anyway, it was like a week ago that it that it had its, that it finished its, I don't know, online run? What do you call that? It's very confusing. Um, but I'm sure it'll be back because, I mean, it, like it's not, doesn't cost them anything. You know what I mean? I don't think. I think, you know, and you, and you have to pay to see it. So I'm not sure why they wouldn't want to, you know, like. Make more money, so I think it'll be back. Uh, um, I don't know when, but I will let you know. Um, or maybe it'll it'll run wherever you live, or here. That would be cool. <laughs> Except there's no theater. <laughs> One day in the future, in the in next year, there will be theater again. Um, yeah. So, what? Do I have to tell you about it that I I didn't say in this epic thing? Um, I, I don't think much. Uh, I think you can order a copy of the play. So if you wanted to read it, I don't think it would read well. I don't, it's not like a play that was written to be read or by, like, they devised it, I'm pretty sure. So it doesn't, I'm I'm, I'm curious to see what it would be like on the page. Um, but that's another reason. Like it, it demonstrates a, a kind of exuberance of resources that they could just, you know, make something in that spirit with those numbers of people. And uh, yeah, it's sometimes I see things uh, as like a performance of resources. <laughs> the show was good enough in this case that I was I was not um, in that zone. So the song today is um, one I've actually been thinking about for a while. It comes up in my thinking every so often. Uh, it's Alicia Keys' "Girl on Fire," which, if you've s- seen the show, I think you will see the connection. I don't think you have. You will need to see the show to see the connection. There is a bit of fire, <laughs> even in the line, the last line of the show. Um, so uh yeah anyway I've been thinking about the song for a while uh and this this idea the show the my feelings about it all seem to like line up for this song's moment to be now um I'm playing it on ukulele which is definitely not how Alicia Keys wrote it <laughs> um but yeah, it I I I enjoyed working working on this one. Uh, so that'll be here in just a moment. Meanwhile, um, the dragoning is complete. If you haven't listened to it now, you can, and you can binge it all the way through. I I have heard that that's a good way to listen to it. Um, and I heard from a friend that someone in her like like a Facebook moms group recommended the show to the group and she does not know me, this person. So there's like a, there's like a a second degree recommendation happening that my friend happened to see. So it's, um, hopefully getting out there a little bit, which is great. Um, so the link to that is in the show notes. If you have not yet had a chance, um, Otherwise, in the show notes are links to support uh, this podcast, the blog, me. Uh, That is patreon.com slash emilyrdavis. There's also Ko-fi and uh, PayPal. Those links are also in the show notes. Show notes, show notes. I know show notes are not always easy to find in various podcast apps. So um, if you need other ways, do let me know. I can, I, can, I can find that information. I can get that information to you if you need it. You um, could tweet at me, all those things. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. And um, I think that's all. Without further ado, I give to you Girl on Fire.
1: Like a highway. Everybody stands as she goes by Cause they can see the flame that's in her eyes Watch her when she's lighting up the night Nobody knows that she's a lonely girl And it's a lonely world But she gon' let it burn, baby, burn